Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aroni. Today is February 8th, 2023, the 17th day of the Hebrew month of Shvat. And this week we're reading a very fundamental portion of the Torah, Parshat Titro, in which the Jewish people receive the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the blueprint for the entire Torah. It is said that the Ten Commandments include in them all of the 1600 commandments of the Torah, and especially the first two commandments. The first commandment is the commandment to know God, to be aware of God's existence, uh, is the uh, root of all the positive commandments in the Torah, because through all of the positive commandments of the Torah, we express and acknowledge the fact that God exists in the world. And the second commandment, not to bow to idols, not to worship idols, not to create idols, is the root of all the negative commandments, because every time we do something against the will of God, it is as if we acknowledge a different power, a power that is not God, and that is like bowing and worshiping idols. So the Ten Commandments are the root of the entire Torah. Also in this Torah portion, the Jewish people set up their judiciary system. And this is so apropos to what is going on today in Israel. There is, I'm sure you understand and you know, that there's a huge debate about a judiciary reform in Israel. And so in this week's Torah portion, Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law Yitro comes to join the Jewish people. Uh, Before that, Yitro was the chief priest of of the land of Midian, and he was quite unsatisfied with the religion of his people. So he tried and tested every single religion in the world. This is what the Talmud tells us. And he came to the conclusion that Judaism was true. And so he came out to the desert to join the Jewish people, And when he saw that Moses was the only one uh, trying and um, presiding over court cases in the Jewish people, he said, this is not right. You have to delegate your authority. You have to create a court system that there are lower courts and still lower courts. There should be courts of 10, 100, 1,000, and so on. And you cannot be the only one who is judging the people. And this is very apropos to the current debate about the judiciary system. Israel is a democracy, and it does have three bodies. It has the parliament, the Knesset, it has the government, and it has a Supreme Court. But unfortunately, in the past 35 years, the Supreme Court has taken into its hand the powers that would not is to take. And so it has overturned Uh, laws that were legislated by the Knesset, and it uses various uh, forms of judgment that give it way too much power. So the current judicial reform is um, aimed at taking back some of the powers that were usurped 
by the Supreme Court and creating a more even and balanced system of checks and balances in Israel. Um, there is a huge amount of opposition because obviously the Supreme Court and the um, extreme liberal circles do not want to give up their power, which they hold through the courts. Uh, so there's extreme opposition. Unfortunately, we're seeing that the many commercial companies, and especially in the high-tech industry, uh, who have joined the fight, we're hearing about uh, high-tech companies letting the employees go and protest. And of course, this creates a very um, unfriendly work environment for people who do not necessarily support these political stances. So, for example, one of the co uh, organizations, one of the companies that has made it possible for different high-tech companies to protest at its quarters on its campus is Wix. Yes, Wix, the platform for various websites, which you may use and which, which you may be hosting your site, is one of the companies that is hosting protests against the judicial reform. Um, it is your choice to what to do with this information. Uh, but what we have done is started moving one of our sites away from Wix because we do not want to support a company which is bringing politics into the workplace. And um, so the judicial reform that Yitro suggested to Moshe to create was actually about dispersing power in a more equitable and democratic way. So there will be more people in the Jewish people who would have power delegated to them and they could judge the people on a more democratic basis in a way that was closer to the people. And this is exactly the point of the current judicial reform. The judicial uh, board, the um, Supreme Court, does not really reflect the opinions of the people of Israel. It's very one-sided and the judges actually choose themselves. The way that the judicial election committee um, is set up is that the judges have majority rule on it. So basically it's a system that perpetuates itself. And uh, this is one of the points that the judicial reform wants to change. So I really very much hope that uh, this current government will be able to be successful with changing the judicial system. But yes, it's quite an earthquake on the Israeli political scene. And then from that, I would like to segue into the real earthquakes that have been taking place over the past few weeks. I'm sorry, the past few days. Um, just a couple of days ago, there was a major, major earthquake um, in Turkey and in Syria. At this point, there are over 11,000 people who were left dead in that earthquake and probably over 30,000 people who have been uh, left wounded. And just this past night, we had an earthquake of a 3.5 magnitude in Israel itself. Um, it was felt uh, throughout the country, and it may or may not be connected to the Turkish earthquake because of the connection between the fault lines, but uh, something is very active in this area. And as always, Israelis sent um, a group of um, soldiers from the reserves and from the uh, home front command to Turkey to uh, be part of the rescue mission. They have already pulled people out of the rubble. Israelis are very, are actually very um, 
experienced and also have systematic um, options and systematic mechanisms for pulling people out of the rubble. And if you remember when a building fell in Florida about a year ago, so what came up and became public knowledge is that Israelis have a system of how they map up every building on paper and they can figure out where every apartment was and where every room was in that apartment and by gathering information of who is missing uh, from that building and where they could have been at the time of the earthquake they can pinpoint where to look in the rubble to find the people because apparently buildings fall in a certain predictable way and you can identify where each of the rooms of the building is now located in the rubble and if you know or can predict where people were during the earthquake you can know exactly where to drill and where to search to find the people so with this know-how the Israelis uh, went to Turkey and they have already pulled people out of the rubble uh, literally in the past 24 hours Israel has also sent uh, humanitarian aid to Turkey but there's been a question of Israel sending humanitarian aid to Syria as well. And Syria, of course, is an enemy state. Syria is in a state of war with Israel. The request for help from Syria did not come directly, but rather it was transferred through Russia. And Israel is considering answering this request and sending humanitarian aid to Syria via Russia. It will not send any personnel into Syria, but it would send probably assistance to Syria. And um, just in the past couple of hours, I've actually been asked to write a piece for one of the Israeli publications of what do I think about providing uh, humanitarian aid to Syria. And I could have written that piece either way because I really see both perspectives in the argument. I very much understand the people who feel that uh, Syrian victims of the earthquake are human beings created in the image of God who are very much suffering right now through no fault of their own and in that we can give a hand of help to them um, but however I think that this is not the way for Israel to go at this moment I will say just say in the Talmud that there are three qualities that are the quintessential qualities of the Jewish people and two of them are it is a merciful heart and always being uh, there to assist somebody else it's the most definitive characters of the Jewish people we're always there to help but I think sometimes we just take that a little bit too far so when the war broke out between Russia and Ukraine, and when Ukraine was attacked, there were organizations from around the world that set up operations on the Ukrainian-Polish border to assist the millions of refugees leaving Ukraine and coming out in Poland and going to the West. Now what's amazing is that of the organizations that set up shop on the Ukrainian border, a full third what Israelis just think about it we're a country of 10 million people out of 7 billion people in the world we're probably one of the smaller Western countries we're not really um, uh, geographically um, close to Ukraine but yes a third of all the NGOs of all the non 
government organizations that set up rescue operations on Ukrainian border were Israeli. And I think that really goes to show, show something, just how involved and how caring the Israeli people are. Um, you know, last week we read about the crossing of the Red Sea, where the Jews crossed the Red Sea and came out on the other side, and then the sea closed and covered the Egyptian soldiers and drowned the Egyptian soldiers in the sea. And sometimes I think that if some of the Israelis, if current-day Israelis, were there on that scene, they would have turned right back, jumped into the water, and would have started pulling Egyptian soldiers out of the water, and then also put a blanket around them so that they won't be cold. There's just this urge to help and do things for all kinds of people without taking anything in consideration. Um, during the time of the Syrian civil war, many Israelis uh, risked their life to go into Jordan, into Syria, and provide humanitarian aid to refugees of the Syrian war. And like I said, I really appreciate this ability to see the image of God in every single person, to put the ideologies and the war aside, and to see that hungry child and go there to give this hungry child a piece of bread. But when we consider every single moral dilemma in Judaism, we go back to the source. We go back to the Torah and Halacha and Jewish law, and we say, what does Jewish law say about this? And Jewish law unequivocally says that charity starts at home. And it's an interesting thing to consider. Why does charity start at home? It would seem to be something a little bit um, self-centered. You know, I'm going to help my people first. But if we think about it, it's much easier to actually go out and be there for other people, for the people you don't know, to do these big heroic acts of kindness and get recognition for it. It is much harder to take responsibility for the people that you are actually responsible for, for your kids, your spouse, your parents, your brothers, your sisters. Uh, there's more of a family dynamic there. Sometimes the relationships are not the best and the greatest, and things can get hard and complicated. And the Torah says, no, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you have. If you're going to do charity, do it with the people closest to you first. Yes, and you're not going to get any accolades for that. And you're not going to get any um, certificates of recognition for that. It's just doing what you need to do. And if every person takes responsibility for the people in the immediate family, and then in their neighborhood, and then in their town, and then we won't need people to take responsibility for people far, far away. We all need to look back, close to home. It's this modern adage that if you want to think globally, you should start acting locally. You know, don't go save people in uh, faraway countries. First of all, save the people in your own town, in your, on your own street, and sometimes in your own family. And yes, nobody will know about it, and you probably won't get with any gratitude. And they will probably take you for granted. But still, this is what you are first and foremost responsible for. And Judaism is very big on people uh, picking up their responsibility. You're responsible for the people closest to you first. So it's your family, it's your street, it's your neighborhood, it's your town, and then it's your people. And then if you have spare resources, you can send them somewhere else. So with this in mind, I think... Israel still has a lot of responsibility for its own people. 
And today, there are tens and dozens of Jewish communities in Ukraine who are suffering from shellings, from power outages, from food shortages, from bitter cold, that need that emergency equipment, that need those generators, that need those tents, that need those blankets, and that need that food. Literally, a few hours ago, I got off the phone with a Chabad emissary in one of the Ukrainian cities, and he told me that the flour we sent him almost a year ago ran out. This person uh, has a whole operation where he and his assistants are helping hundreds and thousands of refugees that have collected in his city, uh, both Jewish and non-Jewish, and he and his people have set up a bakery and they bake bread with the flour was sent him almost a year ago, every single day, and they provide bread for hundreds and thousands of refugees that cannot leave the country. Many of the men in Ukraine cannot leave the country and they cannot stay in areas of fighting, so they moved and now they're jobless and unemployed and penniless, and they live in these refugee towns uh, throughout Ukraine. So this Chabad rabbi set up a public bakery, and he bakes bread every single day. And he told me just literally a few hours ago that they're running out of flour and oil, and they need to replenish their um, flour and oil because they're afraid of an upcoming uh, Russian uh, initiative. They think that Russians are going to attack once again in the next few days. And they want to replenish their stock of flour and oil so they can continue baking bread for the next few months and uh, can do so even if resources become scarce as they may. So this is a request I literally received just a couple of hours ago. Last week I spoke to a different Chabad um, Rebetzin, uh, a female uh, emissary, and she told me that li they live on a, the 10th floor of a building and they don't have electricity for big chunks of the day. The synagogue has a generator, but their building doesn't. So she and her family, they're cold for hours and on end. They're, you know, there's no light. And they cannot do a lot of the work that they need to do to be of assistance to other people in their community. So um, this is one need that the Jewish people have. And I think Israel will be much better... Um, guided if it gave that assistance to the Jewish people, for example, in Ukraine. And even without going to Ukraine, even in Israel itself, there's so much more that can be done. I know it is cold here and it is rainy and we are actually going through a storm. And there's still thousands of destitute Holocaust survivors who have leaky houses, who are cold, who cannot afford heating, these people deserve assistance before the Syrian earthquake victims. The Israeli hospitals are usually overcrowded during the winter, and these people need more helping hands. These people need more medical staff, and yes, that should come before Syrian earthquake victims. And after Israel absorbed 60,000 immigrants in this past year, there are thousands of kids, immigrant kids, Jewish kids, sitting in classrooms who get just a handful of hours of Hebrew every week. These kids are traumatized by the war, by the move, by the cultural shock. They need somebody to sit with them and maybe just put a hand around their shoulders, play with them, give them a little bit of encouragement, maybe help them with homework.
And yes, they come before the Syrian earthquake victims because charity starts at home. And we have victims of humanitarian crises right here in our midst that deserve help before somebody else does. And one more thing. I think it's, you know, it's very Israeli to jump in and be the first to offer any help. But I think there's a lot of strength and a lot of character in letting others pick up some slack. And I think the Arab world has to step up and assist its brothers and sisters in Syria. And I know that Saudi Arabia has already flew in uh, help into Syria, and I think Jordan has, and more countries should really step up and be part of this effort. I think it's not just up to Israel to offer assistance to Syria, especially through uh, Russian channels. I think it's a little bit rich that Russia that is slaughtering thousands of Ukrainians right now is the channel to bring Israeli humanitarian aid to Syria. I think it's actually really surrealistic, this whole situation. So Israel is helping in Turkey. I think that's important and we can do that and that's something we do. It's a country that we're near and that we have a relationship with and there is, while it's not very a very warm relationship, there's definitely what to be gained for Israel by being there in Turkey. Um, but going to Syria, I think, is really taking this idea one step too far. And, you know, it's also actually something for us to take home. You know, we all have our strong sides. We all have our strong suits. We all have our winning character traits. And sometimes it's easy to overplay our hand. Just, I'm good at this, so I'm just going to take this all the way. And then it gets us out of balance and out of whack. So, for example, if you love doing good things for people, sometimes you will keep doing good things even if you don't feel good about it anymore. And actually, uh, Hasidic master Rabbi Tzadik of Lublin wrote about 100 years ago that there is a limit to how much kindness and help you can give other people before it becomes toxic. There is such a thing as toxic giving. There is such a thing as toxic assistance and toxic chesed. And chesed becomes toxic for you and for the person that you're giving it when you resent giving. And that place where we start resenting giving is actually going to be different from every one of us, and it can also change for us. But when you feel resentful, when you feel taking advantage of in your giving, that's a very strong uh, sign that you've probably overplayed that hand, probably done too much, you've over, you went over the overboard. So um, it's not you uh, proactively and mindfully giving uh, help, it's this ability to give help that is taking control of you. So I think it's important for every one of us to remember that we could have winning traits and really, really strong personality um, abilities, but even with those, we have to understand where the boundary is, and we have to do it in measure. So what I challenge you after this show is to do two things. One, to consider, is charity starting at home for you? And what would charity starts at home look like for you, for your family? Is there somebody in your family who really needs help, but you haven't been helping so much for whatever reason? 
And can you help that person without feeling resentment and without feeling like you can't do it? So that's something to consider. And another thing to consider, is this something that you're really struggling, that you're doing too much of, and in the end it makes you feel bitter and resentful? So that's a good place to consider maybe stopping that and drawing back and obviously still doing good things, but a little bit more of a boundary there. So these are my two thoughts for the day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our show. I also hope they can make it to the synagogue this Shabbat and actually hear the Ten Dibot, the Ten Commandments in synagogue. I think it will bring in more fear of God into all of us. I think we can reconnect with this pivotal point in Jewish history where the Jewish people received the essence of the Torah. And so with these thoughts, I would like to wish you a terrific week. And I will see you next week with more news from the Torah. Bye-bye now. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.